Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. For the past few weeks we've been dealing with a theme called Kingdom Economics and um, we've been exploring financial issues. You'll be amazed at how much coverage the Bible gives to the subject of money and giving specifically. And we've discussed, I think, about 30 sessions or more on this topic. All those sessions are available on my website if you want to listen to them again. Amen? So I thought today, being the festive season, and people all around the world tomorrow will be celebrating Christmas, try and marry this topic with that, Jesus Christ was given more than 2,000 years ago. He left heaven at the behest of his father who sent him into the earth to ultimately die on a cross and pay the price for the sin of all humankind with the intent of connecting or reconnecting humans back to his father. Okay? The whole intent was they messed up, they sinned, they are worthy of death, they are worthy of being separated from from God the Father forever, but the Father's heart was to reinstate and to reconcile that which was alienated from Himself. To pay the price, He sent the perfect Son. He sent the ultimate Son. He sent His preeminent Son, flawless Son person of Jesus Christ opted to come and be the sacrifice for the sin of all humankind. He did that not by coercion. He did that voluntarily. He did that. He said, no man will take my life. I will lay it down willingly. And he said, if I lay it down willingly, I will then be able to take it up again. So he came and he paid the price. Now, whosoever accepts him as Lord and Savior into their heart will be reinstated back in relationship to God the Father. You'll be reconciled to Him. Without Him, there's no way back to the Father. Without the Lord Jesus and His death on the cross, there's simply no way humankind can be reconciled with God their Father. He said this in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to my Father, except He comes through through me. He's the door. He's the gate. He's the pin code to gain access into the wealth of all that's waiting for you in God the Father. So He's given out from heaven to earth represents a gift. He is the perfect gift. Not so? Jesus is the ultimate gift. God the Father gave Him. All giving, listen carefully, all giving, Financial, in kind, and otherwise, must always be measured against the standard of that giving. That giving sets a measure by which all other giving is to be judged. And you cannot, I believe, bring accuracy to your financial world in terms of how you give if you don't fully understand how Christ was given to the earth to redeem men back to God is. His Father. So there are many comparisons between the giving of Christ to the earth and the giving of money to God, to God's kingdom, to God's servant, to the poor, to help people in need. There are great correlations between the two. For instance, both in the Bible are referred to as seed. Christ in Galatians is called seed. Is the seed of, of Abraham. Money in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is called seed. Remember Jesus referred to himself as seed when he said this. Unless a seed of corn 
fall to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it grows and bears forth much, much fruit. And he, did, he said that referring to his death. His body was a seed. So just like a seed falls to the ground, is buried, it dies to produce a plant. Death precedes life. The seed dies for there to bring forth life. So too in giving of your finances, there must be the death of it to ensure the life of it. So any money that hits your hand, distinguish between what should I eat and what should I? So what portion should I use for myself and my needs and what portion should be sown as a seed? It's literal death to me. But listen carefully, when a seed is sown to the ground to die, it does not signify the end of the seed. So when we give money away, we're not disadvantaged by the measure that we have given out. Because while there's seeming death, we are ensuring future life. While there's seeming death, for a time period, you're without that measure that you're given, but the seed will grow again. Tell someone the seed will grow again. Yeah? So both finances and Christ was a seed. In fact, he, the seed, died on the cross. And when he, after three days, he gave up his spirit and said, it is finished. Right? And on the third day he was buried, and the third day he rose again from the ground, and he ascended back to his father. The seed died to rise. It's buried to come up again. But no seed, when it dies, rises alone. It rises with the potential, not just of the produce or the tree or the fruit that it produces, because in the fruit of the tree that is produced by the seed which has died is the potential for more seed. So, Pastor Tham often says this, there are many seeds in an apple. You can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you cannot count the number of apples in every seed. Every seed has the potential for future growth. He died as the Son of God. But look, look, look at the multiple seeds. Look, you are the produce of his initial death. He brought, Scripture says in Hebrews, many sons unto glory. One son died. He the son died. But look, we are many now that have come unto, unto glory. And I want to encourage you. Always, I think like this whenever I sow finances. I say, God, I am now doing something practical, something tangible. He is totally and seemingly divorced on the plan of salvation. But I want that same culture to characterize everything I do, even when I administrate the giving of, of, of financial things. So both finances and Christ was a seed. Both produced a harvest. He produced sons all over the world. And it's wonderful we have an international flavor <laughs> yeah, in the service this morning. Right? Sons all over. Thirdly, both produce more seed after its kind. I've explained that. Both reflect the love of God. When He was given to the earth, for God so loved the world that He gave. So the gift expressed the love. All giving, I, I shared with this, this with you over many sessions. I don't want to go into the principles again here. Suffice it to say this, that love must motivate giving. And when something is given, it testifies and expresses the love of the giver to the recipient. If love is not going to motivate any giving, nothing should be given at all. If love doesn't prompt it, it must not be given. Because the gift must be pushed, fueled, propelled from the platform of, of love. Okay? How great a love, John says, the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the, the sons of God. The initial act of giving Christ was that we too be called sons of God. And listen carefully, the fact that we the harvest of sons now is an indication of the greatness of the love of God. How great the love that God has given to men, that we should be called this, 
the sons of the sons of God. Both require death to self in the giver. I'll explain that briefly. Both require grace from which to administrate the giving. I'll explain that in a moment. Both require, when Jesus was given to the earth and when you give financially, both require grace to propel the act. Both require the grace of God to push and to propel that activity. I'll explain it in a moment when we read the text. I just want to get to these comparisons quickly. Both produce a harvest of righteousness. Both result in thanksgiving to God. Right? I'm going to talk about that in part next week. Both reflect the glory of God. Both require the giver to be reflective in his gifts. By that I mean this. When you give, what you give speaks of you. When you give, what is given becomes reflective of the giver. So the giver is, is contained in what he has given. Never give something where you are divorced or separate from what you have given. What you've given is an expression of everything that, that you are. Do you know there's a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 17 onwards? Maybe you can read that. 2 Corinthians 5, you know this portion very well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. All things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Watch this. Go back. Verse 18. God reconciled us to him. So it's like God, God the Father saying, take man and I reconcile, right? That which was irreconciled, I now reconcile. It's reconciliation. God the Father, I pull men back to myself, but to do that, I give my son as a gift. Jesus, you go. You pay the price. So I, God the Father, can pull men back to myself. Verse 19. Namely, God was where? He was in Christ, reconciling the world back to him. It's not like he gave Christ apart from him. What he gave, he was in. God was in Christ, pulling the world back to himself. When God gave Jesus, did not give him as separate apart from himself. But when he gave him, he gave himself in him. Any giver of the gift must be contained in what he gives. Right? When, if, even if I give a hundred rand, who did I give a hundred rand to recently? Keep my mind. We're in Cape Town. I forget, I forget the context. And uh, things came to a hundred, thousand, two hundred. I had to pay for something. Pay the guy. I said, oh, why? As I left, I said, this is for you. Take this. When I do things like that, I'm not just being kind. I'm not just being benevolent. Not just been trying to be nice. I'm trying to reflect who I am. The son of God in my gifts. Never ever be divorced from what you give. What you give must be thoroughly representative of, of you, the giver of the gift. For that gift to have its full potential. You see, the gift of Christ had the full potential because God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world back to him. Reconciling the world back to himself. Okay? So your gifts are thoroughly reflective of you. Both are redemptive in nature. I like this. And you know, this thought is growing in my spirit. I don't have enough theology. I'm still studying it to back this up. When Christ was given to the earth, they often say, you know, have you heard the, the phrase, find good soil to sow good seed in? Find good soil to sow good seed. Yes, it's a good principle to practice. Don't just sow your seed anywhere. Your seed must be sown in good soil to bring forth the intended harvest. That's true, and I believe it's a very good principle by which to, 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 um, to function by. For example, if a particular ministry is badly managed, wasteful, not doing any major work to redeem men back to God, or to grow up people into the image and likeness of God. You should think twice about sowing there. 
about sowing your finances, right? In essence, we would construe that as bad soil. Don't sow there where they're not integrous, there's no good management, etc. That is true. But, but recently, a thought is growing in my heart that sometimes you need to sow into a particular environment to redeem it. The seed of Christ was sown into the earth to redeem the earth. Yeah? You know when he sowed Christ, men hated him. God did not wait for ideal conditions for him to give the seed Christ to the earth. The conditions were in essence bad soil, bad conditions. Men hated God, alienated from God, yet God the Father did not wait for the conditions to be right for him to administrate the, the giving out of the seed. But the seed was given with the intent of redeeming the context into which it was sown. Yeah? And I, you've got to be very sensitive about this. The Holy Spirit will tell you when. Sometimes you've got to sow seed. We always say, yes, if I see a drunkard at a robot, they say, don't sow your seed because the guy's going to waste it on the next beer or whichever. Or a guy that's high on drugs, he's going to waste it. Yeah, general principle, but at times be led by the Spirit. Sometimes sowing into context like that will demonstrate to the person the love of God, which is the higher principle that must motivate the giving more than anything else. Sometimes you sow a redemptive seed to redeem the person. Again, I want to encourage you, just be led by the, the Holy Ghost. He will tell you. Because not don't just paint everybody with the same brush and overgeneralize. Sometimes God will cause you to sow seed into a context which by normal standards, people would say and advise you, don't sow, don't sow, don't sow. Right? But be led by the Spirit. The gifts must be redemptive. Okay? In the Bible, there are many examples of redemptive giving. For example, Jacob gave gifts to his estranged brother Esau, who hated him, remember? Esau wanted to kill the guy. Right? Uh, 20 years, hadn't seen him. But his hatred for his brother Jacob grew and did not abate with time. After seeing him after 20 years, had a whole entourage, an army for his brother. Jacob sent gifts ahead of him. So the power of a gift placated the anger within his brother. Right? Sometimes seeds are redemptive. Seeds speak of something. I don't think he was being the Jacob when he did this. You know the Jacob? Jacob the conniver, Jacob the wheeler, the dealer. I don't think he said, it wasn't like a bribe. Let me appease his anger so he's, he's fine. No, because the night before his name was changed to Israel. The night before met with God. So this is a different man operating. And he realizes, maybe I used this kind of tactic before in my Jacobness. But now I'm an Israel of God. Now I can administrate the same process with spiritual authority and I give seed and the seed placated the anger of his hateful brother. Amen? Come on, sow a peace seed. Sometimes you've got to sow a peace seed to your enemy. Yeah? Yeah? In the authority of the Spirit. Right? What does it say about your enemies? Pray for your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Do good to them that hate you, so that they, you reap coals on their heads. They think, you should be vengeful, you should be hateful of me. Why are you being so kind? Please remember this. I always believe he who sows financial seed or kindness or gives gifts in any measure, but when you do that with spiritual authority, it has weight. I want to, you must be conscious of this. Pray even if you... Before you even do it, say, God, I'm not doing this for any other reason. Like you sowed your son as a seed that redeemed the whole earth. I'm going to sow this gift, this act of kindness, this monetary gift, or this, this email of encouragement, this letter, whatever it is, but I wanted the backing of heaven behind it. Right? Something will trigger in the realm of the spirit. Remember Nabal, the fool. Nabal's name means fool. 
Remember how he disdainfully treated David? And what did Abigail, Nabal's wife, do? David was coming to wipe Nabal out and all his men. Huh? But before David arrived there, the wife of Nabal, Abigail, sent gifts ahead to David. And she met him halfway on his journey to come and wipe Nabal and all his men out, her husband. David said to her, you have saved much bloodshed today. Your act of kindness has redeemed a whole situation. Sometimes words are not enough. Sometimes you have to do something. How about inviting your enemy for lunch? Bamboozle them. <laughs> so how's it? How's some coffee? Can we have a cup of coffee? Send them a nice email. Right? Repeat after me. Seeds can be redemptive. Anything you do can have a redemptive anointing upon it. And when it's, when it's in your mind, you see, listen carefully. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Once you are aware of a revelation, you unlock the power that's attendant with that revelation in what you do. To the ordinary person doing the same thing that you are doing can accomplish very little. But when you do that act of kindness armed with God, this power attendant with this, the results will be vastly different for you. Amen? Vastly different for you. There are many other examples, but because of time, um, I don't want to go into it. Now, another comparison, there are many I've listed here, but time will not permit me to go through all. I don't want to keep you here the whole day. Comparing Christ the seed to financial giving. Both gave a measure which indicates a willingness, listen carefully, to give far more than what was given. Both gave a measure that communicates to the recipient what is given is only token of the fact that I'm willing to give everything. What is given is not the absolute measure. Yes, it's a finite quantity. You gave the guy a thousand rand. You help someone with this. But what is given is only indicative of this fact that that symbolizes the entirety of everything I am. I give it holistically. Now, there are one or two scriptures in this regard in reference to Christ that always amaze me. Firstly, just look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Check this out. While we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more. Say much more. <laughs> Someone say again, much more. Much more. Come on, say it much more like you mean much more. Say much more. Much. I like when you read this text. It says, that happened, but hey, much more. Right? Which is the far more glorious part, second part of this verse. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, his death reconciled us. His life saves us. Watch. Did God, go back, did God wait for you to respond to him before he decided to send Christ to die for you? No. I love the song that uh, Graham Kendrick wrote years ago. You did not wait for me to draw near to you. But you clothed yourself with frail humanity. You did not wait for me to cry out to you. Yet I hear your voice calling me. And the chorus grows, and I'm forever grateful to you. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm forever grateful to you that you came and you, you sought to seek and save the lost. If God had to wait, when did he die for you? While you were an enemy. Remind your neighbor, he died for you while you, were, while you were his enemy. Another version says, when we were lost without hope, while in sin, Christ died for us. Did not wait right, for conditions to be right. He gave the seed, his son, while we were enemies. Now watch. If we, while we were enemies, were reconciled to God through the death of his son... Now being reconciled, hey, 
There's much more in store by his life than what was accomplished through his death. His death got you in the door. His death opened the door to the kingdom, and now you are in. Now, having been saved, been reconciled to him, I want to encourage you, there's far more that awaits you now by the offer that the fact that he is alive and well today, seated at the right hand of his Father on high, if he gave up so much for you to reconcile you by his death, how much more is he willing to now that he's alive, you've been reconciled, is he willing to give you much more? Move beyond his death. Calvary is the central message and the foundational message of the kingdom. Christ and him crucified. But it's not the only message. It's the message that gives us access. Ephesians says, now that we are in, we must grow up into him in all things. Right? So if his death accomplishment, I'm so happy by this fact. You know, sometimes we gloss over scriptures like this. I'm saying, God, who loves Jesus? Come on, let me see. Who loves Jesus? Do you love his death and what it accomplished for you? Without his death, we were not being able to be reconciled. But now having been reconciled, this scripture says, come on, say it, say it again with me. Say much more. Much more. Having been, now that I'm being reconciled, there is a salvation process. Let me just say this. You are saved. You are being saved. And you will yet be saved. Salvation is past. You have been saved. It's present. You are being saved. And when he comes physically back to the earth and your physical body is redeemed, you will yet be saved. Paul talks about that in Romans 8. He calls it the salvation of the body, the end of your salvation. In Peter he says the salvation of your souls. So my spirit is saved. My soul is being saved, and my body will yet be saved. Salvation, when you say, I thank God He saved my soul, is not entirely accurate. He saved your spirit, your soul is being saved, and your body will one day, this, I mean, this body is prone to age, not so? I mean, I, there was a, our part of my yard is still dug up with pipes that need to be laid down. Contractors tell me they're only going to resume work on the 8th of January. I wanted to die. <laughs> so I wanted my yard sorted out. Let the pile of sand in front of my yard at the gate. So yesterday, because it, it affects how we park the cars now. So yesterday I decided, now I'll get a wheelbarrow, do this thing myself. <laughs> Got a wheelbarrow, some spades, and I'm busy working whole day or half part of the day yesterday. Hey, I discovered after a few loads... Not as young as I used to be. It was a walk in the park a few weeks, a few years ago. Wow, small smacks. And then it took about even longer than I thought it would, having more breaks than I should think. And then last night, I want to go to the, to the loo, getting up. It was this pain. <laughs> wasn't here the previous day. And you realize this body is wasting away. It's prone to death the aging process, sickness, etc. There's a coming a day when it will be redeemed. Where it says this mortal will put on, immortal, I will become an immortal again. This corruption will put on incorruptibility. That's a future salvation. So this says we shall be saved by his life. Watch. We shall be saved by his life. Meaning it's incorporating the whole salvation experience until it's climaxed in the immortality of this of this body. So my point being, when the gift, the seed is given, it speaks to much more than what was initially given. It's simply a door opener to the entirety and the fullness of all that is to come. We're happy with his death. His death reconciled us. But there's much more to be had now by his life. My point is that you've got to learn to grow. Don't just come into the kingdom and stagnate. Grow up into all that God has in, in store for you. Amen? Tell someone, grow up. <laughs> grow up. Right? Romans 8, 32, I think, quickly. Romans 8, 32. Look at verse 31. Watch this. 
What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay? If God is for you, no one can oppose you. The next verse says, watch. Verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, gave Him as a seed, and delivered Him up for us, or how will He not also with Him freely then give us all things? He was the initial gift, but there is also after the initial gift something called all things. The gift was an indication of all that is available and all that is coming to the recipients of those gifts. Okay? All that is available and all that is coming to the recipients of those gifts. Now, let me just try and wrap this up. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. How many people love to glorify the Lord? Yeah? We sing, I glorify you, or I give you glory. Right? I want to explain this in part. Listen carefully. I have a long teaching here, but I realize this is not the place for it. Now, you've got to understand this before you read this. Otherwise, this will not make sense. Listen. When you say glory, or you refer to God's glory, the reference to the glory of God is a reference to His substance. The word in the Hebrew is kabod, and it means weight or heaviness. God is not a lightweight, He's a heavyweight, right? He got your substance, fullness. Everyone say substance. The Hebrew word substance, fullness, God is a heavyweight. Full, a God full of glory refers to, watch, His nature. His character, His essence, and His presence. Right? What did Moses pray before he led Israel? He said, show me your, show me your glory. Right? I want to see this God that's calling me to lead His people out of Egypt. Show me who you are. Show me your weight. Okay? So, it also, the Greek word is kabed or kabod. So that's the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The Greek word in the New Testament is doxa. And doxa also, like kabed, refers to the substantive weight of the personage, the essence of the being. But it also refers to an opinion held in the mind regarding how esteemed that weight is. Right? So if Mr. Mandela, if he was alive today, walked in here, Guess what? You probably will stand, right? Why? Why, why will you stand if you walked in? Why? You, in your mind, have an opinion about him. And you accord to him weight, heaviness, substance, person of credibility. Not so? So the point is this. If in the mind of the observer, to the person who has glory, the glory is not direct, immediately apparent to the observer unless it has become revealed to the observer that that person is a person of grandeur, weight, and respectability. If you reckon him not credible, let's say anyone you reckons Mr. Mandela not credible, and you don't accord him the required protocols of a man worthy of great esteem and reckoning, that is because in your mind you have a low esteem of him. Now, you can have the same thing towards God. God is a God of weight and substance. But even John says, He became flesh and He dwelt amongst us, and we beheld what we beheld is His glory, full of grace and truth. Glory has got to be beheld by an observer. It's a reckoning that you attribute to the, to the other. Watch. When you say, like David said, let's magnify the Lord. Psalm 69, verse 30, he says, I will magnify you with thanksgiving. The word magnify means to make what? To make big. Can you, what are you saying? You're saying to God, I magnify you. Impossible. How can you make God bigger than what he already is? You, in your humanness, 
cannot enlarge the magnificence of God. Not so. He is that already without your saying that. So what do you mean when you say, I magnify you? It's a reckoning that you attribute to Him within the finiteness of your mind. You see, that magnificence, big, magnificence, wide, grand and glorious, must come as an awareness within the, the smallness of your mind. That's why glory is always attributed or, or glory is always ascribed. Like the, many times David would say, ascribe glory. Not so? Everyone say ascribe glory. The word means give. You reckon it so to, to be. When you do, listen carefully. Again, you're not adding to the weight or the fullness that God already is. But in you, what you seek to do is let that bigness come to you in a very focused form and enlarge itself in your mind. Because glory is an opinion held in the is an opinion held in the in the mind of the person. Any of you kids played with a magnifying glass? You know the magnifying glass? As you get older, you don't play with it, you need it for other things. Right? But I recall as kids, we used to go out in the sun. And what do you do? Sun is this big ball of powerful gases, heat. If you've got a small little glass thing there. Okay, we used to destroy ants with it. I don't know what they do now. <laughs> we were very naughty, right? Or burn like paper or dry leaves, etc. So what you do? The, the power of that sun becomes focused and harnessed into the smallness of, you're trying to harness that power into a focused area on the earth. When you magnify God, say, God, that bigness, I want to focus it shoop, into my business, into my marriage, into my life. I want that magnificence, that glory, to become extremely focused in a locus point in the earth. I want that brightness. I want to harness that power here. When David said, I magnify you, was in your mind, picture a magnifying glass. I want to focus you, I want to focus that thing, your magnificence so powerfully here in what I in what I do in my small, small area of my life. So glory is always ascribed to the Lord. Now I won't have time to go where I want to go. Let me close with this verse. How can you give God glory? Well, you can say it. Most times, it's an opinion you have in your mind regarding Him. You can complete the work that God has called you to do. Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth. Just quickly look at this. John 13. John 15, verse 8. Sorry. Where am I? I'm all mixed up in my notes. John 17, sorry. Verse 4. I have glorified you on earth. How, has, how did Christ glorify his father by doing what having accomplished the work that you gave to me to do you see your singing is easy i can stand and sing i glorify you but jesus said how did he glorify his father he said the work which you gave me to do i've done it so it tells me if i understand an assignment and i work vociferously towards its accomplishment something that God gave me to do on the earth. The doing of His will and the finishing of it glorifies God. You see, it's easy to say, I glorify you, but do something that testifies to the fact that your life is glorifying glass, uh, uh, God. Think of your life as one big magnifying glass. This is how next to you. You are a magnifying glass. You can harness the power of all divinity in your, local, in your locality. To be there where you are. But it's not just, it's how you live. Live obediently. John 15 verse 8, just quickly. John 15 verse 8 says, My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. So when you bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, for example, the nine fruit, when you live and you're reflective, your character is love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering. Those are all ways in which the magnifying glass is working. 
you glory, you're bringing him glory to God by bearing forth much fruit. I bring him glory by completing the works that he has given me to do. Just quickly look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In all that you do, you must give God glory. Let your light so shine before men that they might see in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Watch carefully. Not only do you glorify God by when you do good works, bear fruit, finish your assignment. When others see that, they look at your good works and they give glory to to God. So glory and the capacity to give it is contagious. It's, it's like a domino effect. Others look at what you're doing and they marvel at God. They marvel at the Lord. And there are many others. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You might wonder, what has all this got to do with financial giving? Check this, this text out and we're going to draw the analogy. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Oh, sorry. Where am I? Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, sorry. He will supply seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I've taught this verse extensively. I don't want to Go here again. God supplies you seed. God supplies you seed and God supplies you bread. Whenever you get money, distinguish between your bread portion and your seed portion. What you should eat and what you should sow. We discussed all of that. right? Verse 11. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. The word liberality here denotes generosity. It says, when you are generous in how you sow your seed, it produces thanksgiving to God. Let other men see your good works and let them glorify. Let them glorify the Lord. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs for the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, this ministry of giving... That's the ministry referred to. When you give, you're doing two things. You're supplying someone's needs somewhere. It's supplying the needs of the saints. But secondly, he says, it is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. I believe your giving provokes thanksgiving. Your giving activates thanksgiving. Right? You know you can become a source of inspiration for someone's thanksgiving by how you give. Let your good works shine before men that might glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at verse 13. Because of this proof of this ministry, what, what will they do? They will glorify. They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality or the generosity of your contribution to them all. Verse 14. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of what in you? The surpassing grace of God in you. I did an extensive uh, uh, three or four sessions on this. All grace, all giving must be grace prompted. You give from a position of grace. Paul here says about them, when you give, the recipients yearn for you and they thank God for you because of an awareness of surpassing grace in you. Your giving testifies to how much grace is in you. Your giving is symptomatic of the grace reservoir or deposit you have resident, excuse me, within you. This is what Paul is saying here. They will yearn for you. They were recipients of your gifts, but they yearn for the grace of God in you. Gifts are symptomatic of grace. Gifts reflect the presence of the grace of God in you. And then look what he says as he closes off. Thanks be to God 
for his indescribable gift. Who was he talking about? Christ. What was he talking about? Money all along, not so? Seed and sowing seed. And when you do this, God is glorified. And then he closes the chapter by saying, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Listen carefully. And you must be thankful, church, for Jesus. Because when God gave Jesus, like the gift to the recipient testifies of the grace of God pushing that gift when Christ was given, it testified to how good and how gracious God has been to us. Paul, I can see him writing this line by line. Okay, da, 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 verse 1, verse 3. And he closed. Oh, it's like he erupts in praise. Thanks be to God. He shifts away from money. He says, Christ, thanks be to God for his, and the Greek word for indescribable, it's a long word, which I can't pronounce. <laughs> it literally means unutterable, beyond words or ineffable. Beyond words, inexplicable. If you try to explain it, words are insufficient to accurately capture it. Now, how many people are grateful for Christ here? Yeah? And so I want to encourage you. I think what Paul is trying to say here, the way you manage your giving, the way you manage your, your gifts, your kindness to people, it must thoroughly reflect the giving of Christ as a seed to the, to the earth. When you do it, people get encouraged by your obedience. And what do they do? They give thanks to God and they will glorify God because they see when you give, they recognize the grace of God in you. And what is the lasting impression is not what you've given. But what it was given from? Grace. They impressed more by the gift. They impressed by the grace of God that prompted the gift. Tell someone, give from grace. Don't, and please remember this. When you do these things, don't do it to have pats on your back and ticks next to your name. According to 2 Corinthians, it says, when people see this, who must they glorify? It says, and they will glorify God. I want to be an activator for people to glorify God. If I can be the spur, if I can, watch, I'm the magnifying glass. I just went there with, symbolically, my life as a magnifying glass, and I focused magnificence on their table. And they saw the brilliance of God in action. It's not about you. And when you give like this, you put the glory of God on display just like Christ, when He was given as a seed, put the glory of His Father on display for men to see. Listen, church. When that is your motivation, heaven will back you. Heaven will resource you even to give. If that is your motivation, heaven will come and that verse says, and he supplies, let's close with this, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. What does God give you? Two things. He who supplies what? He gives seed to the sower and bread. God gives you two things. Food to take care of your life and your needs. But he also gives you seed to sow because he knows the power of seed. But what does he multiply? Does he multiply bread yet? No. It only says, and he multiplies seed for sowing. Because he knows in the multiplied seed is future bread. He gives bread, he gives seed, but he only multiplies seed. I can't wait for an opportunity now to give. Never get tired of being kind. At the back of your mind, say, I'm putting on the grace of God. I'm demonstrating the love of God. I'm the magnifying glass for this gentleman of how much God loves him. And the Bible says, do not be weary in well doing. For in due time, you will reap if you do not faint. Amen? Goodwill. Isn't the season about goodwill? It says goodwill too. To all men, as much and as big as the problems you have presently,
please remember this season, there's always somebody of far worse than you. Be aware of those that are hurting in this season. Right? Some people are really hurting. Some people are faced with the reminder of tragedies in this season. Broken relationships. Not enough. It's not, it's not festivity for everybody. And where you can bring joy to someone in the midst of their calamity. I want to encourage you. Become the seed of God, the son of God, who is the seed of God. That God expects you to be and so as God leads you. Amen. Let's pray together. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Just as a token, as a sign. When we lift our hands, we say, God, I want to open myself. I really believe this morning, I was saying, God, Lord, make me a magnifying glass of your glory. And impart to us new grace, surpassing grace, to be your sons in the earth like never before. Dear Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you mean to us. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the model. I thank you for the standard that we have in you. You set the bar so high. You set the pattern. You are such a good example in how you were given by your Father. How you willingly came and laid down your life. You died as a seed to bring a harvest of sons, many sons unto glory. Today I ask in all of our kind doings, the giving that we employ to others, whenever we do good works to put your glory on display, let it be your glory and not our glory. Let you be magnified May we never take away from all that you allow us to do. We are only able to do these things because you allow us. You enable us. It's you that has blessed us in these fashions. And so when we do it, God, may you receive glory. May you receive honor. May you receive power forevermore. I pray for all the families represented here today. And even those from our house who are not here that might be elsewhere. I ask the richest blessing of the Lord be their portion. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless you, family. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you. The Lord give you peace. The Lord increase His grace within your lives, your home life, all your relationships, your business, your work environments. May the grace of the Lord abound in everything you do. I decree that you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you sit down, blessed when you rise up, blessed when you go out, and blessed when you come in. The blessing of the Lord will go before you and make a way for you in areas where you should go, where you should walk on. May the Lord's face shine upon you, and may He indeed bless every endeavor of your hands with good success. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.